All right, just be seated for just a moment. Let me just say this before we pray. Um, every year, we have the opportunity to participate in something very meaningful. It's charitable, but Christian charity, very meaningful. And that is we uh, ask you to wrap up some boxes and bring them to the church. And we send the, these boxes that you see on your left and your right to Haiti uh, for children's, Christ, uh, children's Christmas that would normally not have a Christmas. And so we appreciate you doing that. You see all the boxes that we have already. And uh, we are going to be sending these to Haiti on Tuesday. And so if you want to add to these boxes, uh, you have uh, today and tomorrow to do that. But I'd like to have a word of prayer. And I'd like for just to really dedicate these boxes uh, to the Lord. that They would find um, their place, be in the right hands, be a gospel witness. Father, we come to you in prayer in the name of Jesus and God, as we pray, we just lift up these young kids in Haiti. Many of them are believers. Many of them are not. They need to be reached for Christ. And so, I, I, God, I pray that you would help each one of these children when they open up these boxes, that it would be the right box for that child. That they would just be happy. They would have joy in their heart because of what you have given them. And then, Lord, I pray that it would be a gospel witness to them on how much a church loves them and how much you love them as well. And then, Lord, I pray that as we open up God's word that you would um, really open up our heart. God, I pray that we would hear from you today. And, Lord, I pray that you would touch my um, lips and my, my praise would be on the lips, but also the word of God as I deliver the word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles this morning. We want to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, on a Christ, part of the Christmas story that we don't hear uh, a lot about. And um, the title of the message today is The Voice. Now, when you think about The Voice, you probably think about the TV program. You, you looked at the title and you say, wow, pastor must be trying out today. Well, I'm not, and do I have an amen on that? <laughs> and... Uh, but also, if you're in the business world, you think about the voice in, in a little different way. In fact, uh, you may be thinking about Stephen Co Covey, or you may be thinking about Max Dupree, and thinking about the voice as they say it's kind of like you're expressing your life. You know, people talk about finding their voice. Well, Covey says this, it's, the voice is an overlapping of body, mind, heart, and spirit. It's who we are. It's our talent. It's, it's, the, desi it's the desires of our heart. It's what we express with our life. And you think about it, the Bible says that. It's that with the, with the mouth, we speak the heart. And the heart comes out through our voice. It's, it's very convenient, and it can be very, very positive, very ed ed edification, uh, um, on the lines of edifying and encouraging. But it can also be a negative thing as well. James puts it this way, and he says, And the tongue is a fire the very world of iniquity. The tongue is not among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Well, that's pretty harsh terms. For every species of beast and birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is the restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow, James really uh, puts it on us pretty bad. He kind of calls us out. And you may be feeling like this morning that I'm about to call you out as well, but that's my job. My job is to address the Bible, and as we look at Christmas grace, 
what greater grace could we give to individuals around us is that our voice would be edifying. Our voice would be exhorting. Our voice, voice would be encouraging and even sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ all around those that would hear and be willing to listen and not in negative terms. And so our voice can be destructive. It can be negative. Uh, or it can be edif edifying and encouraging. Now the question is this morning, which voice do you have? How do you express your heart? Well, as we open up to this passage in Luke chapter 1, it's a Christmas story, but yet a pre-Christmas story because it, re it revolves around the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And we find a couple by the name of Zecharias and Elizabeth. Zecharias is 67, Elizabeth is 63, and they've never had children. And because of that, they feel real kind of cursed and not blessed of God. And so they're not having children. And now an angel of the Lord appears to Zecharias with a great promise. And so as we look at this this morning, we want to know, we, we want to know where our voice, what our voice is saying about our life and what we can do to get a hold of it. All right? Number one, the voice can be a problem. Let's look in verse 5 of chapter 1. The Bible says, In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he and his wife had <clears throat> from the daughters of Aaron. So Abijah was a priest. Aaron was a priest. So both of these, this couple came together, two different lines of priests, and her name was Elizabeth. <clears throat> they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Now, keep in mind, when the Bible says this about being righteous and, and blameless, it's not talking about being perfect. Remember what the Bible says in the book of Romans about Abraham. He believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so they were people of faith. That's what it's saying. Great faith. But verse 7, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now, let's just... Uh, let me just say this. Some of you here are having trouble having children or maybe have not been able to have children. And you look at the Bible and says, well, wow, the Bible says I'm cursed or not blessed because I don't have children. The Bible doesn't say that at all. It was the custom and the belief back in that day that if you didn't have children, there was some kind of curse upon your life. That's not true today. That's not our society. Our society would say, if I could compare it to something, suppose you were in business and the recession hit and you lost it all. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, I'm going to lose my house, and I'm going to lose this and lose my cars. And the neighbors are saying, what a failure. That would be the, kind of the same thing. So in our society, we look at success and failure as kind of the same thing. And so when they were looking at this, that Zacharias spent years trying to have children. He had really given up until this in verse 8. It says, now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God, in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, verse 9, he was chosen by lot, which means uh, basically casting lots, tossing a coin, those kind of things, uh, by chance, uh, to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people who were in prayer outside of the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled. Man, you, you would be too if you saw an angel, a supernatural being. And the fear gripped him. Fear gripped his heart. He, he, was, he, was, he was so fearful he couldn't even think straight. He was astonished. He was taken back. We can just go on and on with that kind of description. 
But here we find being gripped with fear, so frightened here in verse 12. It says in verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will give him the name John. Very unusual since nobody in his family was named John. Now today we uh, we look at a, a, maybe a name book with the meanings and things like that. We come up with a name for, uh, you know, a favorite person. We uh, actor, actress, or ball player, um, or theologian for some of you, I guess. But some, really, back in this day, they really named everybody kind of after relatives. John? Where, where did that come from? But God had a plan. And he said, You'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet he is in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. For he will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit of Elijah, and the power of Elijah. And it quotes here an Old Testament passage talking about someone preparing the way of the Lord. That's John the Baptist. He was going to preach repentance. He was going to get people ready to, to hear the Lord and to hear his message and for his sacrifice for us on the cross. Verse 18, however, Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? Give me a sign. Give me some assurances. For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Notice he didn't say my wife's an old lady. He just said she was advanced in years. You know, good, good, good choice of words. Now, as he was looking at this, you say, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, you're just kind of questioning or whatever. But it says in verse 19, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Now, just because we're negative doesn't mean that God's going to silence us in some way, but it did here. Now, you get the idea, what's going on in Zacharias's mind, the same thing that has gone on in our hearts so many times. And that is, you pray about something, you pray about something, you pray about something, and then, now, he's given up. In fact, his heart is bitter toward God. God, you did not give me the very thing that I wanted most in life. And he doesn't even know he's angry until the angel comes to him and he says, yeah, you say that, but give me a sign. Tell me Give me some assurances of that. I've heard this stuff before. Maybe not from an angel, but maybe in his mind. An angel said, I am Gabriel. And he silences him. I want you to notice here just as we look at this, that he was using, because of his anger and hurt, he spoke negative. And he did not give praise to God. He did not give thanksgiving to God. You and I can use our voice in a negative way. And the mouth is so convenient. And that's why James says, who can tame the tongue? It's just there. The voice is there all the time. We're either going to talk and we're either going to use it for positive or negative. We can use it for negative. We can use it for criticism. Uh, we can, uh, you know, I, I read a story about this young lady in this psychologist, psychology book or psychologist kind of slash pastor. And he said that um, a young lady came to him and had been having trouble all of her life, and she did have some uh, challenges uh, physically, but she had overcome a lot of those things, but she's sitting in, in, in the office of the pastor uh, slash counselor, and um, she related the story. She said, I think it goes back to the time that I was about five, six years old, 
You see, I was born a twin, and my sister died when, before I, I even could remember her. And I remembered, because of my handicaps, I was making my way down the stairs, and I guess I was kind of quiet, and I was in the hallway, and I heard my dad, as he was going through the bills, why in the world did the, the child that was well die and the one that was sick live? And he says, I know that he was just wrestling with the bills. I know that he was beside himself with stress. But she says, I've never forgotten those words. You see, words can really hurt. Words from somebody else, that criticism, that harshness can really hurt someone. The gossip hurts many, many people. Now, I know that uh, we can talk about a lot of the things in this area, but let me just take a few minutes to answer someone's question. That asked when the question series came out, and she said, could you preach a sermon on gossip because this church is full of it? Now, I know that she was probably speaking just of her little group because sometimes when we, we get into a group, a small group, we think to ourselves, the whole church feels this way or oh, the whole church does this and when it's not happening at all. And I know I may be speaking to the minority this morning, but I, want, I do want to speak to this because it hurts people so much. It hurts because you're talking about someone that cannot hear you, at, that, at least at that time, does not know what's happening and cannot defend themselves. Once that gossip gets out, it's like a feather, feather pillow in the wind. You can never get all the feathers back, no matter how much you apologize and no matter what you do. It's harmful in the fact that it's, it's really built on uh, a lot of speculation. In other words, you, you see something, you begin to put facts together, and you come up with a conclusion. And dear friends, I know from my own life that this is a prideful step. What we think to ourselves, I have discernment. I have intuition. Women's intuition, men's intuition. I, I have wisdom. I can see the facts of what's going on. I can put them together, and I guarantee you this is the way it is. But that's prideful. We don't. We cannot look into someone's heart. Most of the time when speculation occurs, we don't have the facts at all. But once it occurs in our mind, we not only talk about it, but we believe that. And therefore, when the truth comes out, we think someone is just lying to us because the story is already made up in our mind. That's why the Bible says, he says, speculation is of the devil. It says in 2 Corinthians, it says, to cast down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the Lord and bring into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. And so as we're looking at this, we understand that even it hurts. You know, I know that people go through self-esteem problems. And so it's just easier to talk about somebody else and put them down and make yourself feel better. People go through hurts. They're hurting. Hurting people hurt people. And so you're hurting. You're hurting about your family, your prodigal. You're hurting about, you know, your prodigal son or daughter. You're, you're hurting about something else that has gone on in your life. You're hurting financially. You're hurting on the inside. And so when the opportunity comes up, you, you just sort of, you, you have the voice. And the voice is so, so close to you. It's so convenient. The Bible says you're revealing at that point your heart. And that's why the Bible says that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to give an account for everything, every idle word that we spoke, both good and bad. And so it begins to destroy people. Uh, I recall a story, and I'm not saying it happened at this church, but it did happen, uh, it did happen locally, where a, a lady, um, eh, probably in her 50s, 60s, invited a friend to church, a male friend. And uh, he came to church with her and really enjoyed it. 
and went out to lunch with her small group class. And he enjoyed the church, really excited about it, but after he left the lunch table, he walked away telling her, I'll never come back to this church again. In fact, I may not go to any church again. And she knew why. Because at the lunch table, all they did was sit around and talk about different staff people or the church as a whole or their friends that had nothing to do with the church. They talked about people the entire time. And that man, according to her, has never gone back to a church since. So it is damaging to people. And then um, I had something to happen to me many years ago. I'll change the story a little bit, but a lady came to me, and we've been trying to reach her husband, and she was very concerned. And she said, uh, uh, my husband, who's been coming to church, has been playing uh, badminton. You know, that's not the sport, but I'm changing things a little bit, you know. Badminton with a couple of guys, and they've been talking negative about you because they don't believe in one of the decisions the church is making. And it's really some rough stuff. It had, had nothing to do with facts at all. But he said, he believes it. And she says, I've come to you to ask you if these things, if this is true. Of course, it wasn't. But she couldn't convince her husband of that. He quit going to church, quit going to any church. And they eventually uh, left to go somewhere else to maybe where he would go. It does hurt. It hurts the kingdom of God. And it hurts people as well. But the tongue is just so convenient. You say, well, look, pastor, are you saying that if we have questions or we have, see something wrong with a brother, we ought to just let it go and leave it alone? No, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, the Bible says that we, if we do that, we're not really loving. The Bible gives us a procedure. It gives us a way to go about how we ought to lovingly approach someone about blind spots or sin in their life. It's found in Matthew 18, chapter, chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. <clears throat> Jesus said this, first step, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won a brother. So he says, go to him alone. Don't go to your prayer group and say, look, I've got a prayer request for my friend and begin to go over all the speculation, all the things that you think you know, and, and then say, pray for me as I go and approach this person. It's not what it's saying. Go to him or her and him or her alone. Now, let me tell you why that's so important. Because sometimes we, we speculate and we have the facts all misconstrued altogether. And then also, even if they are true, you go to someone, how much more effective is it to say, look, I saw this happening and I want you to know I haven't told anybody else. Nobody? Nobody. Well, immediately, you're going to trust that person because they are very, they're very much a trustworthy friend. And the Bible says you, you win a brother over. And so what do you do? You go to him and to clarify the situation. You, you try to understand what is going on. And, and there's nothing wrong with questioning. In fact, the Bible says we ought to question maybe even immediately and try to find out the real answer. So you go and, and you try to do something to clarify the situation. For example, um, you look, some of you ladies are walking through maybe a restaurant or maybe walking along the sidewalk, and you look in, and there's your friend having dinner, a romantic dinner, with another man besides her husband. And you, you don't see his face, but he's got this long hair, and you say, well, that's not him at all. I don't know that's not her husband. Her husband's nearly bald. You know, he shaves his head for crying out loud. I know that's not him. 
So I don't even have to go in. In fact, you, you sort of hide. You're embarrassed. You can't believe it. And so you're concerned. So what do you do? You go and tell a friend, just one. Tell one friend, and then they tell a friend, they tell a friend, they tell a friend. And, and pretty soon the whole story is really blown out of proportion, and you can never get that back. That woman is going to be labeled for the rest of her life. However, you go to her, and you go to her alone and say, look, I have told nobody about this, but I'm just, I'm just so disturbed by it. And I saw you out eating in a romantic restaurant, Burger King, over here <laughs> on a Friday night. And no, it's, it's a nice, you know, real nice restaurant, kind of dark. And she starts laughing, and she says to you, did you see the man's face? Well, no, I didn't have to. I know it wasn't your husband. Your husband shaves his head, and this guy had long hair. She says, look, I've often said, we, we met, my husband and I met at Woodstock. And we were celebrating our 100th anniversary. And uh, not really. You know, it's a long time ago. And, uh, and I, always, I always told him, you know, I, I loved your long hair. Man, when you had that long hair and those flowery shirts on, she said, yeah, this guy was wearing a flowery shirt. He was dressed weird. He said, yeah, that we were kind of flower children back in the day. And so for our wedding anniversary, he dressed up and bought a wig and put on and took me to dinner. Totally innocent. Well, what about me? You know, I, I, I could have had a rumor going around that I got mad on the golf course and broke a golf club. And you may be asking the question, Pastor, have you ever wanted to break a golf club? I play golf, don't I? <laughs> you know, so anyway, but I've never done it. Okay, so... But here's what happened on my 10th anniversary. We're over here in Legacy Hall, and they were going to present me with a, a driver. You know, some of you don't know what that is. It's not a passenger, all right? It's a driver. It's one, one of the big head, and you, you tee it up and uh, right, right there on the, on the tee box. So it's a big club. And they bought me a driver, and one of the people on the personnel committee had the shaft going down on the floor and was leaning on the head. Not hard, just resting, just so it wouldn't fall over. They're about ready to present it to me, and it goes, it just breaks. I won't tell you what brand it was, but, you know, I, won't, I don't want to have any problems on that, but, um, you know, even though it's tailor-made. But anyway, it, it sort of goes over, and uh, good clubs, but it was just one of those things. Now, what would have happened if that club had not have broken, and I got on the tee box with three of my church members all around me, and I hit that thing, and the, the club head goes down the fairway further than my ball goes? You got rumor. You've got bad stuff maybe going on. And so what happens to us? Now, the Bible says if they don't hear you, take two or three witnesses. This is not the first step. This is the second step, not the first step. It's important that you realize that. A person that's really in sin that will not listen to you, you're concerned about them. The idea, according to Galatians 6.1, is to restore them to the faith. And so you go out, you find two or three, the Bible says spiritual in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Spiritual people, people that have a really walk with God, and you say, look, I need your help in this because so-and-so is doing this. I need to go to them. And they go, that every, the Bible says in Matthew 18, that every word will be established. Not an argument. You say the same thing. You plead with them. Just let the two people just be sitting there, that every word may be established. Then the Bible says the last steps take them to the church. Now, let me just say this about this last step in clarification. In the New Testament times, they only had one church per town. And it was important that that church have a great testimony within the township. And that's what they were concerned about. They were concerned about the, the testimony. Now, there's other places in the Bible 
that assume that we are playing off Jesus' words that doesn't talk about taking them to the church. But if the sin is bad enough that's going to hurt the testimony of the church, then you take them to the church. But otherwise, the whole thing's the same. You don't allow yourself, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, you don't allow yourself to stumble as well. You have to distance yourself from that relationship if, they, if their sin is such that it's going to drag you down. So what do we do? You say, Pastor, you're talking about a, a hard thing. I mean, some of you just like, you like to talk. And there's nothing wrong with that. We have outgoing people that, that talk. I was, I was on a conversation with a, a, a potential, um, well, I was on a conversation with another pastor. And my conversation usually lasts about 10 minutes. I was on the phone for an hour and a half. He, he just likes to talk. It was all good stuff. But sometimes, you know, you, you struggle with it because sometimes the negative eventually comes out. What do we do? We need a commitment. We do. We need, we need a commitment that's strong enough to say, a public commitment that would say, look, I'm really willing to commit to this, and I'm willing to be held accountable to my friends around me if I ever stumble, because I will stumble. The mouth, voice, just too convenient. All of us going to stumble. But I need someone around me that that would say, hey, you know, we kind of made that commitment in church. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. To develop the habit in our life to recognize that those thoughts, devilish thoughts that come into our mind that we would want to tear somebody down. So I'm going to make a commitment to you this morning. My commitment to you is this. I will never talk about you until I first talk to you and then only about you because I love you. I will never talk about you until I first talk to you, Matthew 18, first step, and then only about you, second step, two or three witnesses, because I love you and want to restore you to the faith. Now, I make that commitment to you today, and I, I welcome that you would be held, hold me accountable. Not going to make me upset at all if I ever, when I, when I do, vary from that even a little bit. I will never talk about you until I first talk to you, and then only about you because I love you. Now, keep this in mind. I'm about to ask you to make the same commitment, not just to me or just to the staff, but to everyone in the body of Christ, everyone here, everyone in your small group, that you will never talk about anyone else unless you first go to them and then only about them because you love them. And I'm going to ask you to stand in just a moment and make this commitment. Let me tell you why this is important. It's important to you, but it's important to our body too. We're looking for other staff people to fill position, minister of music, a worship leader is one of them. How can I call someone if I know you're not willing to make that commitment and you're going to be talking negative about things and judgmental about things when, and you're not going to talk to the person first? It's very difficult to do that. And so I'm going to ask you to make the commitment. And uh, it's on your screen. Let's put that up. I will never talk about you unless I first talk to you. And then only about you because I love you. If you're willing to make that commitment publicly, and of course be held accountable for those around you, whether you're a member here or not, this is just a Christian thing to do. Would you stand to your feet? Stand up, and we're going to recite this together. As you look up at either screen, let's begin. I will never talk about you unless I first talk to you, and then only about you because I love you. We're going to do this one more time because some, some people didn't get the cue to go in, and I understand that, so we're going to do it again, all right? 
You ready? You ready? I will never talk about you unless I first talk to you and then only about you because I love you. Let's give the Lord a round of applause for allowing him to deal with our heart this morning, shall we? You'll be seated just a moment because I would like to say in the closing words here that we can also turn things around and use them in a positive way. And you have the power to encourage people. You have the power to build up people. Notice what happens in verse 64 of this passage real quickly. Um, it's verse 63. Um, John was born, and he asked, and he wrote on a tablet, his name is John, and they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was open, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak in praise to God. He was silenced for a while, for a season. And when he first opened his mouth, the first thing he did was praise God. Then he preached the gospel. Notice in verse 67, his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, has redeemed that salvation in the house of David. <clears throat> he raised up, rather in verse 69, up a horn of salvation. That's not a trumpet. That's a horn on an ox. And the picture here, if you put the Bible together, is that the devil's like a roaring lion, lurking about, seeing whom he may devour, and the picture is this ox, this seven-foot-high ox with a huge horn, and he's gouged the lion, and the lion is dead before him. The, the, the Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is coming, and his son John is the forerunner, verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. That's what we need, folks. In order to have that peace on the inside, in order not to want to strike out against someone else, we need to overcome the guilt in our own life. And the only way to do that is through a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Here he was coming through. John was coming through as the forerunner, paving the way for us. Jesus Christ comes behind him, and that's the gospel. In fact, I think this is the first gospel, real gospel message that was ever preached in, in history. It came from Zacharias, and the first thing out of his mouth after his silence was the gospel. Months and months of silence, and he praised God and then shared the gospel. And I'm here to share with you today that God can give you the power to do what you just committed to do. God can give you the grace, this Christmas grace that we're talking about, to be edifying and exhorting to other people through Jesus Christ. Now, I know that you may be coming here sometime and you say, well, you know, Pastor Mercer, he's always calling us, you know, uh, you know he's already reminding us that we're sinners separated from God in Romans 3.23. But here's what Hebrews says. Hebrews 2 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of, partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You see, there's a negative, but now there's a positive. And the greatest building up, building up your children, building up the people in your class, building up the people in the body of Christ, building up the people at work. But the greatest way that you can build them up is to share the gospel. I want to be able to share the gospel. I'm praying for this one, with at least one person a week. 
for 2017. That's what I want to do. I want to share the gospel, not just from the pulpit, but personally. Sharing the good news, the greatest news of all. But some of you are sitting here and say, well, I don't see myself as being in slavery. That's why I quote verses about slavery and about sin to convince us all where we, where we need to go. For example, you came to me and said, Pastor, you want us to take you to the hospital? Why should I go to the hospital? Look at your arm. And I look down, there's a big gash in my arm, and I'm bleeding profusely. I said, yeah, what you waiting on? Let's go to the hospital. Sure. I might ride in your car and say, you know, there's a little tick in that motor. Oh, it's fine. It's always been that way. Well, you know, there's a little hesitation now a couple of months, a couple of weeks later. There's a hesitation. Nah, don't worry about it. It's okay. I'll, I'll get it checked out one of these days. Then you find yourself on the side of the road, and your motor's gone, and you think, I better call a mechanic. You see, until you realize the problem, it's difficult for you to take the course of action you need to take. I was, um, I had the privilege and honor to preach my um, administrative assistant's funeral memorial service yesterday. Uh, great lady, Joey Everest. Many of you have talked to her on the phone. Many of you know her, met her, and passed away a couple weeks ago um, with a respiratory problem that she's been having for years. And um, in, in delivering that message, I just knew that she would want me to share the gospel. And that's what I did. And I shared at the end, I said, you know, Joey wanted a ministry, and I read this whole thing that she was, was in her Bible about her place in life and, and God working in her life. And I said, the greatest work may be yet to come because there may be somebody here that she's ministered to, and you love her, but you know you need to meet her in heaven. You know you need to receive Christ. And so I shared the gospel. I gave the, the prayer of salvation, allowed them to receive Christ. And I, as people were leaving, I, you know, it was over in Legacy Hall, and there's just a place where you walk down the steps there on the podium. And I was just there with my wife, and um, this young lady came by, say late 20s, early 30s, and she said, I prayed that prayer with you. I received Christ today. Is that, the pro is that what you need to do today? Do you need to enjoy the Christmas grace in its fullness? We had a couple of people this morning at first service receive Christ. What about you? I want to give you that opportunity to do that today. All right? Let's pray. In the quietness of this moment, I'm going to ask you, um, as we bow our heads before the Lord, that you this morning, if you've never received Christ, you don't know that he's Lord and Savior of your life, I want to give you an opportunity today to receive him into your life by praying this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open up the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of everything that I've done. Make me the person. Give me the grace and the power to become the person that I want to be and you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. And as we stand together, here's the invitation. This morning, if you want to come and pray the altar and you say, I need to pray for myself, my family, my prodigal son or daughter, I need to pray for my church, my class, whatever it is, you just feel a need, the altar is open. You come and pray.
Maybe this morning you want to come and you say, I need to be a part of a church like this that would make a commitment like that. We have discover, uh, um, this, uh, our discovery class, our new members class going on right now. We have a crowd there. and You can join them next time. You just come and take one of these gentlemen by the hand and just say, I want to start that process. Uh, maybe you pray to receive Christ this morning and you prayed that prayer and we want to help you this morning. And so as we sing together, I want you to um, just come where, wherever you are, up in the the balcony or down here, and just take one of these gentlemen by the hand and say, I prayed that prayer with the pastor, just like the lady did yesterday, and we'll help you to grow in your faith in Christ. So you come right now. As the band plays, heads bowed, eyes closed, right now, you come. Would you look this way for just a moment as these are praying? We're going to pray in just a moment. But let me just encourage you to do this. If you prayed that prayer to receive Christ this morning, there's a place where, on this card where you can indicate that. And on the back of the card, it says, My decision today, I have decided to surrender my life to Christ and begin a personal relationship with Him. And on the front of the card, we're going to need at least your name and phone number, email address, something where we can get in touch with you and give you the material that you need to take your next steps of growth with Christ. But if you can just put a check right there in that box, make sure it gets in the offering plate. That would be wonderful. And if you're our guest, we would like a record of your visit and start a relationship with you. And so if you'll do the same, uh, we really appreciate that. Let's bow uh, for a word of prayer. Father, uh, we come to you in prayer in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, how it resonates in our heart when we hear it and when we read it. And God, I pray that we would use our voices that it would reveal our heart and our heart would be pure toward you. And our heart would be in such a way that others would see Jesus in our heart by the way we speak. 
And then, Lord, I pray for these that have received Christ today, that you would help us to help them grow in the Lord. And, Lord, I pray for the offering today because I know that that uh, is one of the ingredients that makes all this ministry possible and us reaching so many people and us wanting to reach more people uh, for the Lord. And, Lord, I pray that we would be committed uh, to share our generosity everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just have a seat as the offering bearers come. Uh, we're not quite finished. I know some of you um, maybe have children and things like that. Just a few sometimes get up. Please don't. I ask you not to do that this Sunday because uh, we do have an announcement. And I know that, you know, I, I did uh, consider making this beforehand. But once, once the announcement's made, you, you kind of think, okay, you know, I'm kind of tuned out because it's kind of a, a surprise to us. But I'm going to ask uh, Chris um, and Teresa to come up and uh, share a few words with you.